Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today is Thursday, December 15th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 491 featuring Dime Magazine's Jackson Frank is powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. We have got a new edition of Celtics Beat. We're running out of these things before the end of the calendar year, but it's okay. We're on the heels of Boston's, I would call it successful, we'll dive into this a little bit more, but successful 4-2 road trip that we might be looking at very differently if that 20-point lead in Los Angeles against the Lakers, which turned into a 13-point deficit, had resulted in a loss versus the Seas coming back and having their way in overtime. But uh, again, we'll get to all of that as we go forward. Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti, we're always here, and we've got new blood on the program, which is nice every once in a while, right? You guys, you're used to hearing all the same voices or seeing all the same faces a rotation of of great national and beat people that we have on occasionally the former athlete or even celebrity but every once in a while it's just good to mix in someone who's brand new who admittedly as we welcome in jackson frank from uh, i feel like i'm selling you short i said dime magazine <laughs> off the top of the show which is true but you're everywhere you're all over the place you had a piece on grant williams the other day in sp nation I, i've seen you in a, a bunch of spots <laughs> certainly promote yourself but i gotta say uh meeting you for the first time my only disappointment is i i thought we were going to get someone who willingly has a mustache come on this show as is your avatar on twitter because <laughs> I, I, I you you've I, caught me in probably the the two the two week of the last six months that i haven't had one i just <laughs> uh i just it, it, i had it for a while and it was getting a little unruly and i just decided to, to go clean cup but yeah if you would if you would interview me in a week from now i, I would have been the uh, i would have been mustachio is that the proper word i don't know exactly but yes. i like that I like that. You caught me at the wrong, the wrong two week interval of my year, I guess. Not a lot of people not named Tom Selleck opt to have the mustache <laughs> in 2022. So it was really going to be a special treat for our, not the listeners, I guess, but for our viewers anyway. Well, frankly, yeah, yeah. A lot of people can pull that off, Jackson. It's just, it, it is an impressive piece of, of. <laughs> Hair. It is, it is, well, I will. I will formally apologize now to the viewers that I don't have have the mustache for everyone. We welcome you uh, onto the show, obviously, and and you are here uh, in large part. You know, you got our attention because you've been writing, certainly not exclusively, but quite a bit lately about the Celtics. You had a piece uh, just in the last couple of days about Grant Williams, which I tweeted out just before uh, we started this recording. I really enjoyed that, and we'll expand upon. Uh, sort of the intricacies of that piece. And a couple of weeks ago, you talked about this historically great offense that the Celtics were possessing at the time and, and really still are outside of a, a couple of hiccups against the Warriors and Clippers on this trip. So I guess just before we kind of get into all the nitty gritty of what you've been watching and writing about, what has stood out to you most, whether it's impressive, not impressive, I mean, take it however you want, but what has stood out to you most about these these Boston Celtics this year, what they've done under Joe Missoula versus the club that we saw go to the NBA Finals uh, just a, a few months back? 
Yeah, I think I think what stands out most is it's it's honestly it's a lot of similar themes to what we saw during last year's regular season over that twenty six and six stretch. Um, like I think they're a little bit more efficient offensively um, in terms of like how far above league average they are, but people kind of forget that they were the number one offense. I think over that twenty six and six run, it was just when they happened to meet the best defense in the NBA with a bunch of really good defenders, they they faltered a little bit. Um, but what stands out most right now is how much spacing they have, the ball movement. Uh, in that article, when I broke down the offense, you can I wrote that it's you can tell that Horford and Tatum and Brown and Smart have played together for basically half a decade. Even Grant Williams is now in year four with with Jalen, Jason, and Marcus. Year three or year two or year three with Al. I can't remember. I think year two. Um, since you have the two year sabbatical from from Boston. Um, but that's, that's the biggest thing, the ball movement they're they rank really highly in assist rate and they're, they're driving more successfully. I know they don't get a ton of shots at the rim, but with the addition of Malcolm Brogdon with Marcus Smart really leaning into that, that full-time point guard that we saw over the second half of last year, um, they're able to get downhill a lot. And I think it's going to be even cooler to see once they get Robert Williams back, which seems wouldn't necessarily say imminent, but it seems pretty close. Um, that's going to be interesting too, with adding a lob threat. Um, you, you can tell how much they miss Al Horford right now with, you know, I think Blake Griffin's done some decent things, but he just doesn't, nobody guards him, defend, nobody guards him. He's not a lob threat at this stage of his career. So, um, when they're healthy, you know, even without, without Robert Williams, you can just incredible how much space and they have all these different guys who can pass, dribble and shoot. Um, it's just been, it's just been kind of a, a, a masterpiece in offense and that like anytime, Anyone gets the ball, they're a threat to attack a closeout or make the right pass or shoot from three. And that's that's pretty impressive to go seven deep in that regard, I want to say. Maybe eight deep. I guess it'd be eight deep or seven. Yeah, I think seven if you include Derek White and uh, Malcolm Brogdon as the two main bench guys. I'm glad you brought up Rob as it relates to the offense, because normally when we talk about Rob Williams, obviously it's about the defense. You know, he's he's the best individual defender, arguably, on this team. No disrespect to Marcus Smart, the reigning defensive player of the year. But we know, uh, you know, what Rob brings and what he does and how different this looks when he's not available, especially on this trip with Al Horford. And congrats to the Horfords on a new baby when he is uh, not available either. But, uh, you know, you rely on. Blake and Luke Cornett and Grant and you, you know you see what happens basically and and sort of defend from uh, maybe from the outside in versus the inside out in some different ways but uh, I think it, Evan was it last week Keith Smith was on the show all these shows blend together but we yeah. were talking with Keith about the just this this offense and, and how historically great it's been how great it's been this season but how can it go another step how can it evolve when Rob Williams is healthy and it's possible jackson that uh rob is you know people thought he was going to return on the road trip didn't happen he was on the trip but he didn't play he could be in the lineup friday against orlando or 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 the next game against orlando for all we know so it, he's coming back soon we know this much what is his presence due to the offense yeah i i will will say i i expect it to be an adjustment period just because they when they had success in that five out obviously horford is a stretch big uh, and Rob is a guy who plays the dunker spot. He runs pick and rolls. You know, he rolls the rim rather than popping and or stationing himself behind the arc. So I think that's going to take some time for them to kind of assimilate to this different style of offense because that you know we the they missed a lot of threes in the Warriors game and their deep their transition defense especially was really porous. But I I watched that game. And I didn't think like I didn't think like oh like the Celtics you know are like in a really bad spot. It was just the reality that they're playing Blake Griffin, a guy who's more of their fifth big and they're playing in 25 minutes. And he doesn't offer the same level of offensive juice and credit to the Warriors. They bring a level of physicality and defense that seems to still 
really fluster a lot of those simple actions that the, that the Celtics want to run successfully. Um, so I just wanted, I didn't want to take away anything from the Warriors defense, which was imp- really impressive in that game. But um, Rob is going to give you that, that, that like when Jason and Jalen drive or Brogdon drives, when Marcus Smart drives, they don't always have to take a shot or look for a kick out, which can be tougher. There's going to be, you know, the lay down pass, the lob to Rob, like there's going to be other outlets that aren't just, do I have to force it maybe a bit of a contested finish or do I have to somehow find the open guy because I've collapsed the defense, you know, on the, on the perimeter. I think that's something the Warriors kind of exploited well and what they did well in the finals last year too, is that they're impressively good at like rotating in, but also not giving up an open three. And I think that's kind of what the Celtics struggle with in that game. So I'm curious to kind of see when and how quickly they can adjust. Oh, we have, you know, one of the best lob threats in the NBA there. We don't have to always force a kick out to a guy. So um, that's the biggest thing. They don't really have anyone that's like, oh, we can just get a really easy bucket at the rim. Obviously, Jalen's a very good driver. Jason's gotten to be a very good finisher and driver. But it's different when you can just toss it up versus like, okay, I got to take six dribbles and put my head down to get there. So that's the biggest thing is just having a really, really good finisher who's incredibly quick off the ground, giant catch radius, um, just provides a different look than someone like Rob or Grant when you're running those double big lineups. You know, I know Grant is short, shorter than Jason. He's about six six, but um, just a different look when you don't have to. You know, I think that they're a really good three point shooting team, but you know, there is some truth to the fact that at times it is nice to just get a point blank shot, even if there's a great corner three look. It's nice to just dunk the ball through the hoop rather than relying on a forty percent three point shooter from twenty five feet away. Yeah, I agree with that. And then one of the things I was I was looking at, uh, I found a video this afternoon. I tweeted from my account about how um, the Lakers, you know, kind of uh, had brought out the best in Anthony Davis recently. Um, you know, with him and LeBron running pick and roll, you know, top of the key, and and you know, uh, just basically diving to the basket as soon as he sets the screen because of the this height mismatch that he's going to have with smaller guys. And I, you you watch Missoula kind of play chess and figure out how to how to cover that. Um, and how they, how they use Cornette as a guy to come up and like kind of cover the, the weak side corner shooter, but also just like kind of shade towards the middle of the paint. And as Ant like, uh, would enter the paint, Cornette would go with Ant and then Ant's guy who was rolling with him is just going to scram to the corner. Like Boston's going to be able to do some of that stuff and the way that they've been able to manipulate so many guys from three point range to get great three point shots. Like, I think their offense will have another level with Rob there. If somebody's got to follow Rob to the rim, Rob's such a depth passer that he's going to find open shooters or he's going to get to the rim with ease. So my question for you, Jackson, is you, you studied this offense. We've all been watching it. It's the most efficient offense in uh, the M- NBA history, although it'll be at a small sample size. I'm not sure where they are now in terms of their relation to the, the Nets with Harden, Kyrie, and, and KD. But, you know, this offense is going to look, slightly different could it get slightly more efficient as we get into march april and may because i agree with you i do think that it's going to take some time like it's not just going to be instant magic and i think the point that you said about the the continuity this team has is really helping them right now could this offense take another step towards towards even greater efficiency with rob on the floor yeah i think i think it can uh a lot of their offense is based out of what is termed as a delay action. So it's where a big man is up top of the key. You see a lot with Horford, a lot with Rob Will, and you're setting flare screens for Jalen Jason on the wings. And, you know, it works a lot with Horford, but you're seeing some of the, the struggles that Jalen Jason are having with Horford out right now. And I think ideally the Celtics would like to preserve Horford, you know, moving forward. They don't want to rely on him so much. And you can see how much the offense, even the defense, 
relies on. So now having Rob Will backing you, you can kind of manage both of these guys. You know, one who you with Horford you know, is on the older side of 35 or something like that, whereas Rob Will has obviously a lot of, you know, unfortunate knee injuries. So um, just having that sort of continuity in the sense that you're always going to have a plus passing big man out there to run those delay actions to and to give you a different in besides the passing you get different looks right so you get the lob threat you've received you get the the three-point shoot with horford um and the the, the attack out the closes out attacking um are the big things there so I, I think it could get better you know it's obviously worth noting that part you know as much as blake entering the starting five has impacted their offensive slide a little bit they were shooting incredibly incredibly well some guys are shooting well above their career average from three now they they generate a lot of good looks um from three but you have you know guys like Derek white who's more of a 35 percent guy was shooting i think 45 percent the last couple of weeks um grant I, I don't really want to put a cap on grant because it seems like every year at this point he, he he gets even better but he's probably more closer to a 40 41 at, at the high end this versus the 46 he's at these days um malcolm brogdon was flirting with 50 percent three-point shooting through a lot of the year um so i think there are about six points above league average, which is very good historically, but it's not like the most efficient above league average. I, I would imagine they ran, end up somewhere six to seven points above league average. When, when Rob returns, when I wrote that piece a few weeks ago, I think there were like nine and a half points above the average offensive rating, which cleaning the glasses data only goes back about 20 years, but it was the highest mark above league average in a given year. Um, and that includes like the seven or seconds less Suns, some of those Rockets teams, uh, Obviously, the Nets with Harden never quite had a healthy season, so we don't know exactly what it would have looked like there. But um, I expect this to be like one of the better offenses of the last two decades. But I don't expect it to be like the most efficient, like it was at one point, just because it, just because they were shooting so well from three, and it's going to require a bit of an adjustment with the Rob coming back. So, um, but the the main hope is that they're better equipped for the playoffs, right? Like as I mentioned earlier, they were the top ranked offense, I think, through the last forty percent of the regular season. It was just when they played the Bucks and they played the Heat and they played the Warriors, three, you know, what I would call top five defenses. I don't know if they all finished there in the regular season, but top five defenses last year when it mattered most, uh, they they struggled a lot more. Um, and I know they had some very nice games against both the Heat and the Bucks. I don't mean to say otherwise, but obviously those final three games, the finals, uh, their their offense was a big thing. Like Steph was great the entire finals, but I think their defensive rating was like still pretty solid in the final, like 110, which is still a top 10 mark, generally speaking. So um, it was the offense and the turnovers and Tatum struggles and some of Marcus Smart struggles that really did them in. And so the hope is that um, just with a little bit different look um, that they're better equipped to, you know, not fall too sh- too wins short of the championship that they're, that they can kind of withstand and they can kind of merge a top 10 offense with what I think can be the, the best defense in the league. And once Rob is back and you can see they're kind of already dialing it up. I think the last two weeks, they're like a top five defense. Um, they're kind of streamlining that consistency again that we saw last year. So um, the big thing for me is Rob just gives you a different look. I don't know how much he necessarily elevates your offensive ceiling, but he gives you more diversity and he's obviously going to give you a lot. Like he's a, he's a playable, very playable offensive option. Who's going to help anchor you defensively on the interior. Jackson, it feels like after every game lately, and, and look, national media loves, you know, likes stars, but loves its superstars and perceived superstars and guys on the cusp. And, you know, Jason Tatum, it, always it's, you know, he's on pace to do that and break this Celtics record. He's on pace to do this and break this NBA record. Or he's the youngest guy in NBA history to do X. Yeah, I mean, you get where I'm going with this. And it feels like after every great performance, especially when you – 
you know, on, in prime time on national TV, dropped 44 points with LeBron James on the other side. He's consistently asked about his place in the most valuable player voting and how important that award is to him. And so there's no lack of attention to what Tatum has done and is doing on a national level that almost to the point where it feels like, look, we're running out of superlatives. We're running out of things to say about this guy. Like, what's the point? I wonder not locally, locally, this is not the case, but nationally is Jalen Brown getting his due for his part in what is happening right now on the floor. And obviously, you know, what he is doing individually as much as what he is doing to make Tatum the player that he is right now. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I remember, I think it might have been broadcast too on ESPN, Mark Jackson's team, Van Gun- or Jeff Van Gundy, excuse me, um, getting my broadcast, Van Gundy get, broadcasters get mixed up, TNT versus ESPN. Huh. Um, I think it was one of them that, that uh, heaped some praise on Jalen's season, and he's been really, really impressive. Uh I think what he's done well is carry over a lot of his strong postseason. Like I thought last regular season, like compared to what he did the previous regular season, wasn't as impressive. Like I just thought the defense was, there were more off ball lapses. The offense wasn't as good. The passing didn't take another step like it did the year prior. This year it feels, but then in the playoffs, he was incredible in basically every regard. Um, I felt like, and that feels like he's continued a lot of that. Like I think the defense hasn't been as sharp, but I think that's a collective thing for the entire team for the most part compared to the playoffs last year but the offense is really good he's had some really impressive passes I know there was that clip that went viral he had a, against the Suns he had that really impressive pass to Jason and Jason kind of gave him a look like I don't know he quite had that had that passing read in you um but the scoring's really good he's driving better than ever like NBA.com has a driving stat and it, it, it also can categorize it by like not just field goal percentage on drives but like how often you're turning into points and I think he's like Doing, I want to say last I checked, like 75 or 80% of drives, which is really, really impressive. Um, but shooting 50% from the field from the first for the first time this year. Um, career are 59% from two. He's about 54% the last few years. So um, that's a pretty big jump. And, you know, with Tatum struggling in that game against the Warriors to score, you know, Jalen's ability to kind of create shots from mid-range and do it against tough contests is really impressive. So um, you know, we got still about what a month and a half until you know all stars are finalized or at least maybe the starters i don't or maybe the reserves from mid-february but like he's a guy that i would definitely have on my all-star ballot um and whereas last year in the race i didn't have him there obviously still a very good player but um i've been impressed with the way he's continued to kind of build upon last year's strong postseason um i think he continues to be quite good kind of blowing up off-ball actions um navigating screens impressively for a guy of his strength um, like I said, the, he's still just prone to get back. It's not, kind of seems like something that's going to be just part of the Jalen Brown experience. You take the the small bad parts of the, the high level good. Um, but yeah, I think to an extent Tatum's rise from like all NBA first team, all NBA guy to MVP caliber has overshadowed Jalen, which I think was the opposite for a bit. Jalen's rapid improvement the last mm-hmm. few years kind of got like, was the main storyline a lot with the, with the Celtics. Whereas now it's like, Tatum's the guy who's made the big leap and Jalen's going to be really good. And it's kind of like, Oh, this guy has gone from all-star caliber to, you know, someone we could should consider for all NBA. And it's getting overshadowed because his, you know, his co-star is, is, you know, a top three, top four MVP candidate. Maybe in some ways too, Evan, it's, you know, Brown is just not as, you know, he has his highlights. He's got his, you know, impressive dunks and stuff that, you know, goes viral. You see it on social media, all of it in the NBA and NBA fandom does such a an incredible job of of making sure if there's something you need to see, then you're going to see it. But in some ways, too, he's not, you know, 
And I don't even think Jason Tatum, quite frankly, is a flashy player. But Jalen Brown is not as flashy as as Tatum even to where like Jackson was just talking about all-star candidacy. Jalen to me is absolutely an all-star and he will be on that roster. But as we know, starters are determined by voting and Tatum is going to be voted an all-star starter. And I don't think Brown is going to be on the radar of fans in that way. Well, hang on. Help me out with what's your definition of flashy? Because like I'm having like a hard time labeling Jason Tatum is not a flashy player. Like, it, like what, I've seen a trillion like, highlights like, of him. His like, like, away against like John Morant is a flashy player. Tatum, oh, yeah. We, we had this conversation, you know, at, at points last year when people were doing the whole, would you trade Tatum for Ja in this world where that deal exists? Like, I, I don't watch Tatum and feel like, obviously he stands out. He's, you know, he's a superstar. He's a top five player. He's arguably the MB, MVP favorite right now. But, and, and Jackson, obviously feel free to contribute to this, but I don't watch jason and feel like he is other than the occasional really impressive dunk and he does a lot of really impressive things that don't stand out the same way during games like jaws like in your face you know what i mean like yeah, i mean he, he just dunks a lot i'm not saying jaw doesn't do other stuff like a lot of the sure. jaw has superhuman speed uh and is so slippery um and can contort his body in very yeah. very weird different directions right but the the loud dunks are, are what makes him a human highlight reel sure. you know very similar to zion like zion's 360 windmill the other night was yeah awesome. i think it's already over i think for like i think a lot like there are very many plays that, that jason has that are like flashy and highlight reel you know the sidestep threes with a hand in his face the mm-hmm. bucky had around draymond on that crossover he can do it, but I think when you're like, if you're like power ranking, like, let's say there's 25 superstars in the NBA, let's call them stars or whatever, that like the most like, that it's going to make it onto the, the NBA's top 10, you know, they do the top 10 count in every week or every day. More often than not, Tatum would fall in the second half of that top 20, top 25 versus a guy like Ja, maybe a guy like Luca with all of his ridiculous passing. Doesn't make him lesser players necessarily. And like, I agree. I mean, he does have flashy plays. But like he's not like a lot of what Jason does is can be subtle, you know. Especially with the it's the proper rotation defensively, it's the hand up on a closeout. Like, and this isn't to say that like that's what makes him way way better or anything like that. Like, I'm not trying to say that, but I do think there are there are more subtleties to some of Jason's greatness than there is maybe a a jaw at times, or maybe even a Zion. That's not to say they don't have subtle aspects that you slow down and you're like, wow, this is really impressive. Only this player could do it. But it does feel like there's just a little more less. Less of what Jason does conducive to making on a highlight reel than, let's say, a Jaw or a Zion or a Luca um, would be kind of how I would term it. But I don't, again, I don't want it. That's not for me to discredit either of these players or any of these players. It's just kind of how I would feel. But it's such a subjective thing, right? A lot of these, a lot of these words are, you know, like I, I'm a sucker for a great rotation defensively. That's that's all it is. But yeah, no, I, and like, I got highlights for like, I, part of the reason I really liked enjoying watching Jason when he was, was just how advanced he was as a rookie defensive. So I love that stuff. And that's not that like, so other people are wrong for not enjoying that as much, but for me, like that's something that I really enjoy. So yeah, I think highlight is subjective, but yes, the mainstream highlights jaws more prone to be active on them than, than Jason is just because well, like, you know, threes aren't usually the one that are, you know, just big threes aren't necessarily going to be on there very often. And I guess your highlight player, Devin Booker or Jason Tatum. I think, oof. I think like probably, the argument for either guy. I think probably Booker, because in the but I like I for me but personally I think Tatum is a better player than Booker and part of that is because a lot of what Booker does is like tough contested shots and he's great at them 
but sometimes that falls short of what you want. And Tatum can be prone to it as well against really good defenses. You saw it in the finals at times against the Warriors. But I think Tatum can make stuff, make easier stuff happen, which is good. As a star, you want to make stuff look easy. Whereas I think Booker doesn't do that as often. He sometimes will like miss a driving lane or miss a passing read for a contested jumper that he's good at. But that's going to make down to the highlight over an open layup that maybe a Tatum gets or produces for someone else. So that's not the re- the, that's not like I'm saying that Booker's bad or anything, but that's just kind of how I view it. I think sometimes Booker is prone to more difficult stuff, which is part of why he's more prevalent on highlights, but also part of why I think he's not quite in that upper tier of like a top eight player, like I would say Jason is. Yeah, but I guess all, all of this sort of speaks to to the initial question, the initial point, which is if we're talking this way as compared to other players around the league about Jason Tatum, is Jalen Brown getting overlooked nationally, maybe not even by media, by fans? No, certainly respect. by fans. Because yeah. you'd have to you'd have to watch like uh you'd have to watch the seas a lot to have a real true appreciation for what Jalen Brown does on the floor. Um, you know, the the great stat I don't know uh, how close we are, but again, as of like last week, Jalen and Jason were averaging more points than Kobe and Jack. <laughs> like, like, like yeah, that's no, that was as recently as as this win over the Lakers. I think. Yeah. Was, so they are right now, and it's not going to hold. But they are right now the most dynamic not? in NBA history. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> I, I will say with Jay, I, I will say with with Jalen what's why he's such a good like fit in contrast to, to Jason is a lot of what Jason does is methodical, right? It's like sizing the guy up, putting his shoulder slowly into a guy downhill, getting those threes after the long, long possessions. Jalen's in your face, right? It's snappy. It's quick. Like it's, it's attacking and close out two dribbles and hit the rim for a finish. It's two dribbles into a pull up jumper. Like a lot of what he does, like is, is kind of the cliche blinking. You miss it, right? Like he's just so explosive off the catch and he's so kind of economical with his touches a lot. Um, that like, that's not necessarily like those, those efficient off ball scores are not the ones that like generally garner like the most fanfare. And I think Jalen obviously playing for a prominent team, being a former top three pick gets a lot of hype, but like you don't see besides the, the monster dunks that we've talked about that he's, he's prone to at times, you don't see some of that stuff as often it doesn't like pop off the screen as often. So, um, I think kind of Jalen's efficiency with his touches does limit how often he's maybe going to you know, catch the eye of just the random analyst, fan, viewer, whatever you want to say. Lots more to come with Jackson Frank. Before we do it, let's shout out our, uh, our good friends, our partners, our sponsors, betonline.ag. Of course, basketball's back midseason is not too far away, and then we'll be talking all-stars and all this good stuff. Bet Online, your top spot for all your sports betting needs throughout this season. You will always find the latest odds and team matchup info, player news, game trends, you name it. It's available at Bet Online as your continued source for all your sports wagering information. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, Giveaways all throughout the season. Your title odds, Celtics plus 325 to win the championship, up from 300 plus 300 last week. The Bucks plus 600. No movement there from when we last spoke about them, nor the Warriors at plus 800. Will the Lakers trade Russell Westbrook, the uh, potential sixth man of the year in some people's minds? Uh, yes, minus 225. No, plus 160. An interesting thing to uh, watch for as the Lakers you know, maybe consider rebuilding on the fly a little bit because despite the fight they put up against Boston, uh, I don't think that team is is going anywhere at all, much like last year. Uh, always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events. There is, of course, NFL. The playoffs are not far away. Playoff chase for the Patriots, who currently, as we sit here, are in a spot, in a position. We'll see if that holds. Um, NHL, MMA, baseball futures, tennis, boxing, golf, you name it. 
all across the hardwood stuff that we've already mentioned. It is available to you. Head to betonline.ag. Join, receive a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code at CLNS50. Again, that promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. All right, what uh, we've teased it a couple of times. We've not yet had a chance to talk about it. And and you know what, Evan? Maybe maybe this is a show flaw a little bit on our part. If we're not talking contracts, we don't spend a lot of time talking about Grant Williams here on this show. <laughs> and maybe, maybe we should be because uh, Jackson here wrote a uh, a really good piece in the last couple of days about sort of the – I hesitate to call it the emergence of Grant Williams because it's not like this is something that's just happened in the last couple of weeks or couple of months. As Jackson outlined, you know, it's he's a far cry from being the guy, Grant, that started 0 for 25 from three-point range his rookie season and then still shot like crap overall over the course of that year, 25% from long range. And then the next year it was, you know, still subpar, not even league average to where we are now where Grant is one of the best, at least statistically, I don't care what you think of him on a personal level, statistically, he is one of the best three-point shooters across the entire league. And yet, and I I found this stat, and there's a a lot of numbers in in Jackson's piece, but I, I found this stat in particular to be maybe most interesting is the fact that he is still on Boston 10th in usage rate. He is a guy that is, you know, like other teams, despite the success, are almost still leaving alone and daring to shoot what in, in this film study and in your research and digging everything up that, that you did Jackson, uh, I guess really kind of impressed you about Grant Williams and what he means to this team. Yeah, I think a few things, obviously, yeah, like last year was the, the Grant Williams breakout. That's what we don't call it, right? Like I think, um, you know, you shot 41% from three, you know, it's really good stuff defensively had the, of course, monster game seven against the bucks. Um, but he like he still was somewhat of a rigid offensive option in the sense that like like you wanted to run him off the arc like if the ball came to him you were going to close out hard and try to make him put the ball in the deck that's still probably what you want to do now um especially because he's shooting 46 percent from three like that's just a ridiculously efficient shot um but he's added a lot more counters to that right he's got the sidestep three down this year um and he's not afraid he's not unafraid He's not afraid to take, he's unafraid to take it in important moments. Uh, he looks a little quicker in terms of how quickly or how fast he can get his release off, how quickly he can attack closeouts and kind of navigate around help. Um, I think he's like, and that's in that article, I think I said he's shooting like 10% better from two this year. Um, part of the allure and the, like when he was at Tennessee and why people thought he would become a good shooter, I don't think people thought he would become one of the best spot up threats in the NBA, was he had incredible touch from kind of 10 feet and in. And that's become really prevalent this year again. Um, super strong, great at gain leverage and kind of creating space. Um, so he's just a much more versatile offensive, like secondary score. I wouldn't say secondary, like just an off-ball score. Um, more ways to get off his jumper, more ways to still be a scoring threat when his jumper isn't available because of how the defense defends him. So um, that's what stood out to me is he just is building upon last year. And it's, I mean, it's a classic sign of progression, right? He realized last year, okay. I'm a very good scorer. I'm a very good shooter. Teams are going to run me off the arc. And he was still a good interior scorer last year. I think he was still about five to six points from two-point range above league average. But in the playoffs, he was below 50%. You don't want to be below 50% for really anyone, especially if you're a guy who's creating, a, who's not creating much. 
And so he realized, okay, I got to be better. I got to be quicker. I got to find more ways to score. Teams are going to run me off the arc. And that's what he's doing this year. So um, I think he's still in the league in true shooting. Um, obviously, that is somewhat of a role-dependent um, shoot scoring efficiency metric. But um, to be at 72% true shooting and have, you know, still shooting five to six, seven, eight shots a game uh, through more than a third of the year is super impressive. So just the thing that's you know, just is better attacking closeouts, better at finding ways to not let tight closeouts bother him if he wants to shoot the three um, are the really big thing that stands to me versus last year where it felt like he wasn't as capable of the takeaway option one, which is good. That's what you want to be. You want to find counters. That's an important thing on offense and defense for any player or any team in general. Yeah, I would argue the fact that he can attack closeouts now off the dribble is spectacular. Like the first time you put it on the floor and and like drove to the basket and dunked it. I think the, I think everybody on the floor, including uh, Grant maybe himself, was kind of shocked and how it went down. Uh, just because you know he was such a a corner three point shooter like solely last year, and it actually you know when you get to the uh, the playoffs against the Golden State where Golden State forced him to not take corner threes. And if he was going to shoot the ball, it was like an above the break three or, you know, one of the wings. And he just wasn't nearly as good at that. Um, it kind of, kind of maybe woke him up to be like, all right, I've, and this is the one thing I think people maybe lose like sight of when it comes to, like development. I think great. I want to credit Grant on this. Um, some people think you have to be great at everything or good at everything to really get a roster spot. And Grant figured out, Hey, if I can be a reliable corner three point shooter for this team, I'm going to play. And he parlayed that with that in his defense into huge minutes, especially in the playoffs, uh, that buck series, he was tremendous. And of course game seven where the bucks entire defensive plan was let's let, let Grant shoot. And he literally killed them. It was unbelievable. Like, he, really he made them, he made them adjust their entire defensive scheme. And now they're still tough because they were like, we don't want to give up threes anymore. Let's take away the threes. And yeah. It was, a, it was an interesting strategy. And they, they have changed it up quite a bit here as, as we uh, are at the beginning part of, well, we'll say halfway through the season almost at this point. Uh, we're getting close to 2023. So uh, crazy how quick it's gone by. But I do want to credit Grant for, for becoming just a, 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 a slightly more versatile player on the offensive end. Because, like, yeah, being a standstill three-point shooter is great. I mean, look at, you know, P.J. Tucker. Did he hit a shot yet? Because it was, like, several <laughs> games. He just yeah, he hit two. Sh- he actually hit two shots against the Kings. He's oh uh, yeah, all right. He's Love he's, he's been better since Harden came back. But yeah, there was about a two week stretch where yeah, this corner. Yeah, that's that's a great example. People comparing to PJ Tucker all the time, right? Yeah. And PJ, like you watch PJ enough, he is very uncomfortable shooting above the break. Grant last year regular season thirty five percent above the break. This year forty eight percent. So probably due for some regression, but clearly an area he's much more comfortable than was a year ago, and something that distinguishes it from him from PJ Tucker. Even last year when PJ was very good. Like the Celtics knew it, like even that series, like they were very, they didn't want to let PJ shoot in the corner, but he had the ball above the break. They were entirely comfortable for him to touch it because they knew he wasn't going to look at the rim. And Grant is very much not the way that or that case. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like you can't just have a guy like not take an open shot. I mean, that's <laughs> the beauty of the C's team is they have a lot of different guys that can make, let it fly. And Grant adding that small piece of just being like, okay, and it's not just putting the ball on the floor, but the fact that he can move several feet to his left or right and still be just as lethal from there is a huge thing for their spacing um, and a huge thing for all the guys that drive, whether it's Grant, not Grant, whether it's Jason or Jalen or or Smart, White, Brogdon. Like it gives them an outlet, and you know that you're going to get a great look and a, and a great opportunity to, to, to walk away with points. Kudos to Grant on that end. And the, the thing that we're talking about, and I see Greeny tweeted every time Grant hits a big three, it's like add another million to that contract because, because Grant is, you know, he's, he's, 
he's kind of an interesting, like weird sort of player, but a guy that can really hold up defensively, can guard up and guard down and can hit down threes. Like that player is extremely valuable in today's NBA. Um, and we kind of ponder at what, what the offer is going to be. Will Boston match that? Um, as we head into, you know, the, the middle of the season. And of course, we're always looking into the offseason, but it seems like if I were the Celtics, like I, I, I don't know what the numbers are going to end up being. Maybe Jackson, you have an idea of what it might be, but like I wouldn't let Grant get away, you know, unless it's like some extreme number. I wouldn't let Grant get away from Boston at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm not great with estimating contracts, but I think Grant is kind of like an ideal long term four. And maybe like maybe you want to play Jason the four sometimes too. But like, you know, he's the same age as Jason. He's younger than Jason. He's a couple years younger than Jalen. Like, and he's getting like he's, you probably still got two to three years of improvement, you know, in him, you know, he's 24. So uh, he seemed like just a great complimentary fit on both ends. You know, he's a really good switch big. Those hands are incredible. Some of the stuff he did against KD in that first round series, just disrupting his rhythm was, was phenomenal. And then he switched to Giannis, which is a completely different type of matchup and did some good stuff. So, and then you factor them with being a 40% three point shooter who can attack some closeouts and is a good decision maker as well. Um, I, I'm curious to kind of see as he enters his prime, like, is he going to be someone you can trust even more as a, as a passer? Because his passing at Tennessee was a huge thing. He was a, a post player, won two SEC Player of the Year awards. Um, so, like, you see it at times, but I'm curious to kind of see as we get closer to his prime and into his prime, like, is he going to be entrusted more playmaker opportunities? But just a really, really good complimentary modern four on both ends. And so, yeah, I don't know what he's going to get paid, but uh, it, it I think just what you're – and now the Celtics didn't reach an agreement with him, but what you're seeing – you know, in terms of how much he's trusted and, you know, playing a decent amount as a starter, you know, or as a fill-in starter, like this is an organization that clearly values him. Uh, and if they don't value him to the proper price point, someone is going to because he's playing a big role for the best team in the league right now and was playing a big role last year for the second best team in the league. So um, he's going to get paid and it's not, it's a testament to his growth and just how valuable he is given kind of the state of the league as a complimentary player. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, we can only look ahead, obviously, to some degree. And we don't even know what the exact ask was in, in the preseason during that extension window. But if, based on the reports, if, if Grant was asking for, let's say, $14, $15 million a year and the Celtics wouldn't go there, I am going to be very curious if, and I've said all along, I've tweeted, so I, I want to at least be consistent in, in what I have said. My opinion has not changed that, you know, they're, they've been comfortable with him going out, having a prove it year. And if he does that, it costs them a few, you know, extra million on the other side. So be it. They're content with that. And I do still believe that because again, we've talked about this at, at, at length. If you let Grant go, you don't just get the money and you go sign somebody else. Like if you let Grant go, you just, you lose it. Like you're, you're already capped out. So that's why, you know, you want to pay into the tax if that's what it takes and bring Grant back clearly. But if all of a sudden it does become, 18 20 million dollars a year in restricted free agency from some team out there do the Celtics matches they have the ability I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see it I really am uh because I don't want to say that you know losing Grant Williams obviously like all of a sudden that that changes your your window like if Grant's not back next year this team isn't a championship contender like that's that's not where I'm going but what he does, what he brings, all the stuff that we've already discussed, his role as a shooter, as a defender, the depth, the fact that he's a spot starter, on and on and on. Some people seem to disagree with this still. He is an important member of this team. He is an important cog in that rotation, and he's durable. He is out there 
with regularity. So I, I don't want to un, underestimate or, or let anyone out there undervalue the importance of Grant Williams to this team. Clearly right now he is on this team though, Jackson. So this team has the, it's the best record in the NBA. Is it legit? It, it, is this in fact the best club in the NBA in your eyes? Or is there still one that records aside you think is just a little bit better? No, for me right now, this is the best team. Um, I think, you know, it's, this is the Celtics and then obviously the Bucks are quite good. Um, I, I really like what the Pelicans are doing. Um, I know Memphis has a really good record and they're a very good team, but to me, they just feel maybe one piece away from being there. Um, the, the Warriors obviously are below 500 right now because they don't seem to realize that road games count in the standings. Um, I think they're two and 13 on the road now. Uh, they're the big impressive winning the Celtics and they've lost three in a row, three in a row since, um, but I think that's obviously the Warriors have the flexibility to improve their bench a lot, um, with those young guys. But to me, it's the Celtics. And like, I, you know, I was on a Sixers podcast yesterday because I obviously do a lot of coverage for SB Nation's Liberty Ballers over there about the Sixers. And I think the Celtics are kind of a class above, but I think like, I, I, and I know like I've always kind of been a little lower on the Bucks of this core and like Bucks fans, when they won the title, rightfully gave me some flack, and I, I get that. But I just I can't quite get there again with them. I just think the Celtics are a tier above them. I trust the rotation more. I trust their kind of secondary star power more. Obviously, Giannis like Tatum's very good, but Giannis is like Giannis is better than Tatum. Like it's you know he's in a different kind of tier uh, star power wise. But I just can't get there with their depth. So to me, like I think the Celtics are kind of the undisputed best team right now. But again, you know, like and I think there are much more, much more conducive to playoff success than the Suns were last year. But it is it is worth mem- just mentioning that, like, the last few years, the regular season hasn't actually been conducive or, like, reflective of what the playoffs are going to look like, right? You have, you have the Warriors, who were really good to start last year, and then injuries hit, and they looked like they weren't good at all. You have the, Cel- you have the Celtics who weren't good at all through half a year, and then they became the best team in the league. Um, you have, you know, a team like the Bucks that kind of coasted the for a lot of the regular season the year they won. So it's just important to remember that, like, regular season record isn't all of that and so like yes i think the Celtics are the best team right now but right now is six months before they want to be the best team and i think they will be there but it's just so tough with how how differently every kind of title hopeful approaches the regular season these days to really know who's showing their hand i don't think the celtics are i i am curious to kind of see how much flexibility they have in their pocket and they've shown some of that but that was what Part of what made Udoka a very good coach last year was his flexibility. And so um, another first-year head coach in Missoula, who's done a very good job, um, you just kind of does he have that same level of flexibility and encounters and whatnot is going to be important to monitor. But but yeah, I think this is a very good regular season team who's also going to be a high-level postseason team. But I, I don't know if I can say they're head and shoulders above every other team in the postseason. But right now, they absolutely scream the best team. And I know the Bucks were on the game behind but I just don't quite trust them as much in a postseason setting. But they're very good right now. I, I feel like I'm a bit of a Bucks hater. I don't want to be, but they just aren't quite there for me. Um, so yeah, the Celtics I think are legit. Um, but yeah, we got a it's, it's a long game. It's a marathon, not a sprint, as every cliche <laughs> indicates. And if the uh, if the Celtics reach the NBA Finals again this year and lose again to the Warriors or anybody else, who's coaching next year? Like you, you can't bring. You can't bring Jack Brack Joe, right? Because yeah, I mean, you made it. With I think I think I just think it depends on why they lose. I think it just depends why they lose. No, Joe Joe Mazzulla is coming back. I, I, I think I just think it's it just depends on how they and why they lose and why they get that far. If it's that if if it's that Mazzulla refuses to make adjustments, but Tatum and Brown and Smart those guys are 
really, really good and get them to the finals and then, then the lack of adjustments bury them, then yeah, maybe you consider it. But if it's Missoula's making counters, he's 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 matching Bud, he's outclassing Nurse, or he's outclassing Bickerstaff or Rivers, whoever it is, and he's and he makes adjustments, but the team just falls short because they don't have enough talent in the finals, then yeah, you bring him back. But that's that's all I just think it's no, so I am being, I am being completely sarcastic. <laughs> if anybody out there has been I mean he's I just figured yeah. let's let's go with a different head coach every year. Let's mix it up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For, first year, first year guy every, every a first year guy every year. Just to see how long you can. Yeah, you, someone's going to win the title eventually, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe you shock, are you yeah. shocked at how how well this team has operated, considering the turmoil? Yeah, yeah. I I think you know it's funny. Everyone wants to talk about kind of like the vibes, right? And uh, and what and I think like what I've learned, you know, covering the league now for you know like half a decade is vibes are super super fickle. Like you enter the year. And you look at like a team, like people were talking about, like the Celtics vibes are bad. The Sixers vibes are good. They're hanging out. They're working out together. Like so the Sixers are in a good spot. And now the Sixers are like, okay. And the Celtics, because, you know, they just have this continuity and they withstood the, the coach suspension and Rob will being out. And they just, like, I think they're in a really good spot. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised for sure. Um, but I think it's just a testament to their continuity. Like, right. Like, like Missoula is only in his second, he's only his first year coach, but he was on the staff last year. He was, you know, he got to be around that team for nine months. Um, he's got a core of players that enjoy playing with each other. They trust each other. And like those things can kind of be tossed around as cliche, but it, it's obvious to see with this team, like Tatum makes a cut. It's going to, the ball is going to get past him. He's not going to get unrewarded, things like that. Like they're just, they're just, the ball movement is incredible. Like this is a team that played 60 games together last year and had quick chemistry and has, and has also played together 500 games, 400 games, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, surprise, but I just think it goes to show you that like not shuffling in and out new bodies every year does help you a lot and makes things it makes it easier to weather some of these, you know, storms. Jackson, what you need to understand here is Evan and and Evan is not alone. A lot a lot of Celtics Twitter basketball fans in general feel this way. It doesn't matter who you root for. Evan's a vibes guy. And that's great. Like <laughs> I, I've got I, I think it's I, it's, it's, okay, it's okay to be a vibes guy a vibes guy, but here here's what I've noticed. Uh, I don't know if you guys, I hope you have. And if you haven't, I highly recommend that it. it's, it's streaming on HBO max. If you haven't been watching the four part Shaquille O'Neal documentary uh, from Shaq to Shaquille, Shaquille to Shaq, whatever it's uh, been fascinating. It's everything that all of these player specific documentaries have wanted to be. HBO has done it right because it is not run from any of the turmoil, any of the, conflict any of the like it's Shaq is the subject and they're still bringing on people to crap all over him like it's been great and what is what this is hammered home this documentary and even aspects of the last dance which was obviously phenomenal as well is vibes are a load of crap (laughs) like vibes vibes only matter when you win and everybody is is all (laughs) kumbaya and all of that like Shaq and, and Kobe couldn't stand each other by the end could not stand each other and they still reached the nba finals and lost to detroit they still even when they were winning titles on the back end of of them winning three in a row they were in the early stages of being at odds and 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 you know constantly butting heads rodman was couldn't have been a bigger pain in the (laughs) ass for those late jordan pippen teams like vibes are a load of well i almost swore vibes are a load of crap uh, you know, to they are when you have like some of the best players in the history of basketball on it. Well, you know, generationally speaking, but like if you're Trey Young and the Hawks, how's life right now? 
well, Jason Tatum is supposed to be one of those guys, and he's playing like one of those guys right now. He's coming into form, and Jalen Brown obviously is playing at an all-NBA level, which is a higher ceiling, as we talked about last week, than I ever personally had him at. So I'm not saying these are those Lakers or those Bulls, but maybe they're at the beginning of that window if all is going well for Celtics fans and obviously for them on a personal level and having their way to Springfield and jerseys up in the rafters and all of that stuff. I just think we overblow vibes when things are going well. And And they're they're harder to discern than we want, want to say. I think the the most important thing is, is trust in that sense, right? Like, like Kobe and Shaq might not have liked each other, but like they, when they got on the court, they probably still trust each other to do what they needed to do. Right. And so like, that's what's most like, and I think, but like, yeah, vibes, there is a facade of vibes that we all the public see. And then there may be vibes that like the most plugged in insiders know, but then there are the vibes that only the people within the clubhouse know. And that's what's most important. And we have no idea how to discern that stuff because like any humans, players and athletes and teams are good at putting up fronts. And because they don't want a lot of people into their personal lives, which is a very normal thing, but we try to read off of the, the kumbaya and the smiles on the bench when you're up 40 against, you know, a, a bottom feeder. Um, but it's, it's tougher to trust and have the vibes you go when you're, you know, down four against the Celtics with two seconds left and or three seconds left or whatever, 10 seconds, two seconds, you couldn't even win 10 seconds. We'll say 10 seconds. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, as someone who tries to like incorporate vibes, I've learned that it's just, we don't, I I don't know what vibes, I don't know what the vibes are like because I'm not tuned into that. I don't, not in the locker room and hanging out with them every day. I think we're, I think certain teams you get, you don't have no idea. I think we all have a good idea of what's going on in Atlanta right now. The vibes are just, I want to just shout out Shams real quick because his little his little uh, video with Kay Adams uh, that went viral yesterday about they were she asked him like what team has the most white lotus like drama vibes. <laughs> I thought we were I thought we were shouting out that video because Kay so obviously has a crush on Shams. That's so they're doing, they're doing, I, I don't know if it's a publicity stunt or not, but they're doing a great job of, of bringing attention to that. Okay. In fact, it's a I haven't tuned in a lot, but it's a pretty fun show that she asked good questions and. Shams is uh, personable and stuff, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, but we, we only know of the vibes of the Hawks because we get an insider's view, like from Shams, right? We, you know, that's well, uh, you can you can physically see how miserable that team is. So that's that's fair too. That's fair too. Trade us. Holy moly, man! I don't know. I, I, I the vibe. You know, being a being a vibes guy is you know you, you ride the wave, Adam. You know, you have they're, <laughs> they're fickle. That's what I'm saying. They're fickle. Yeah, it can be it's it's. But when vibes are good, you got to point like I, and this is again, I've made this, this point a few times, but like having guys in the locker room that keeps, keep things light is like a really important thing, I think, to have. And I, and I don't think people think about it enough. You know, what, you know, Blake might not be Blake Griffin anymore, but he's a guy that you want to have in your locker room for several reasons. I think some of the stuff that Luke Cornett does, whether it's the moose ears or the antler or the, or the, the butter, like what, a, like that stuff's just good to have so people can laugh a little bit because it's a long season, man. And it is a job. Like we the, all, the Cornette contest be- is, is is spreading. By the way, MB did it like three times against the Kings. I don't yes. know. Any, I think I think he both shots the Kings missed. They were frigidly cold from three, but MB did. So maybe he's been reading or he's been watching the Celtics. But uh, but yeah, and another vibes guy, DeAndre Jordan, seems to just be someone that teams love despite not being a viable backup center these days. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah he had a thing. What was it last night? We put the cup on Aaron, Go- like underneath Aaron Gordon. When he <laughs> people sat love down. him, and he, he's not awesome. a viable backup center, but he keeps getting signed because he seems to be a guy that people love to have in the locker room. Let's yeah, you got it. Has it. Next time we have a player on the show, we'll ask all about vibes. I want to know players because what you say, what what Jackson says, what I say, like, none of it matters. I want to know what a player <laughs> thinks about these vibes. Does, is this is this really a thing? All right, well. uh 
Here's the good news, Celtics fans. If you're looking for good vibes, uh, I, I said going, and, and I wasn't alone, I said going into, obviously, that that road trip that, and not like going game by game, but just overall, you know, 10,000-foot view. If you go four and two on that trip, it's a successful trip. That was a That's tough Richard trip. Jefferson. That was ridiculous. What a Richard Jefferson. <laughs> he said it was a bad four and two road trip. I couldn't believe anybody. And Zach Lowe was like, that's ridiculous. Like yeah. they, they <laughs> lost to Golden State, who's 12 and two at home. Yeah. And like just is really a tough matchup for a lot of teams. You didn't have two. I mean, if we're still counting Rob, you're down two starters right. for, for five of those six games. Right. Like, I mean, Alan, lost, the, the Clippers turned in maybe their best performance of the year. So yeah, like, it's yeah, ridiculous yeah, good, to good people. They lose, they lose two games in a row and people like lose their mind. Like, there was <laughs> people hitting on Tatum. And I was like, what is like, what this team can't have one missed, like one bad game, <laughs> one or two bad games. Like that doesn't happen. Like what I think the one thing about like sports viewing and sports entertainment and I don't know, just all these takes, like everybody's got to have some weird, unique take like i try to come out hot with the missoula hire is going to be a disaster <laughs> proven wrong pretty quickly that it wasn't and i went uh, i was on this podcast i think like two weeks after i'm like i just want to apologize to missoula i was way off on this i didn't know anything obviously but like to come out with the Celtics had a bad four and two road trip like i just don't understand i thought it was funny when people were like we were like oh the sky's falling with the Celtics. like oh they're only on pace for 62 wins now rather than 67 or whatever like let's like if you watch those games like again i don't want to like and just uh, the, the not having Horford just reshapes their entire trajectory on both ends. Like just Blake just isn't the guy who can re- replicate that role, and that was pretty clear in those two those two losses. If you if you watched them, kind of saw what was happening. So yeah, they're they're going to be fine. And yeah, the fact that they lost two games without two starters, like like the the Sixers can't like win the Sixers five fifteen and twelve when they're struggling with like when their yeah. starters play. So like who cares, right? So I I only bring up the road trip and, and and yeah these hot take shows I don't even watch any of them because I, I like passion. The haters coughing. I, I just don't like the the dumb. But uh, I bring that up just to say that now the Celtics on Friday as we sit here it's a Thursday but on Friday uh, the Celtics start a seven game homestand and here are your opponents two against the Magic who in fairness are playing well but they are not a playoff. Whoa, whoa, dude, are you kidding me? Like Guys, that? I they, won, they won four in a row, I think. He's unbelievable. Yeah, they yeah, can't wait to watch it. Look, they they've won four in a row. They are playing well. I said it, but they're they're not. It's not a good team. And you're gonna have Al back, and hopefully you'll have Rob back for at least one of these two. You have two against the Magic at the Garden. You have Indiana fringe play-in team. You have Minnesota fringe play-in team uh, at, at at best right now, not even in the playoffs. Uh, you Milwaukee, who obviously, uh, unlike Jackson, I do I do hold the the Bucks in in very high regard. <laughs> Uh, I hold her in high regard. I just have them below the settle. Let's let's be clear. I'm not. I'm not an anti. I, I guess I view them. I view them as more of a threat. Maybe. Than okay. The, that's that. That's uh, that's reasonable. Fair. The the Rockets who suck and uh, and the Clippers who I'm sorry the Celtics are not going to lose to again. So that's. I mean, honestly, what is a successful homestand? I'm not even. This is where I'll go all Richard Jefferson. I'm not even sure five and two is good enough. <laughs> I feel I feel like six and one is where is where you have to finish uh, uh, this homestand or or better. Quite frankly, if you're the Boston Celtics, Ev, you're you're rolling your eyes, you're shaking your head, you're People off nights, man. It's what, just what, like, what does this trip, need, this uh, homestand, need to look like for you to take us into? Uh, well, nobody the, gets hurt. Close out this year, as a matter of fact. Nobody gets hurt. As long as nobody gets hurt, I'm good. I don't really you care, care about the results. Just I really up. don't. I really don't. And I love. And I, I'll go back to the the game in Orlando that they squeaked out. 
a couple months ago where Tatum was like, look, we didn't have our best night tonight, but these games are really important to show us that like, you know, even though we might have our best night, we can still win games. And like, again, I, at this point, I, I'm not like going to say I'm totally out on the, on the, on the regular season. I'm not, obviously there's important things going to happen. Um, however, like I am just not going to get crazy over losing two games to two playoff teams. Like I'm really not. It's just in, in even losing to Orlando, like you're going to have bad nights. Like it's just going to happen. It's just a law of averages, but as long as the everything looks good, you know, like, everything looks like it's going in the right direction and everybody's healthy. Like I'm, I'm fine. Like if they went Oh, and seven or something, then yeah. Okay. Maybe no, we need sorry, to, if they it like, I mean, even, even, even if you believe that what I said is egregious, I can promise you if they come out of this seven game homestand against those teams and go three and four, you are not going to be happy. That I'm is not, that is not going to be that is I'm not going crazy. I, I I I am reasonable, you know. I I wouldn't be happy about it. Absolutely not. I mean, yeah, but what I'm telling what I'm telling you is going three and four against that collection of teams all at home, no travel, would be unreasonable. <laughs> I think I think the way I would view, it, assuming like they don't have a bunch of catastrophic injuries, like six and one would be good, five and two would be acceptable. Acceptable. Anything other than that, you know, without extenuating circumstances, would probably like at least to peel back and see what's going on there. Um, also, we praise the Rock or the Magic. I do want to shout out the Rockets too. They've been playing; they're not a good team, but they've been playing better as well. If we're going to praise the nine and twenty Magic, we should also praise the nine and eighteen Rockets who have won three or four, won four or six. So I just, I just don't want to be, you know, showing that I'm I like one sure. tanking team more than the other. Yeah, so I'm just happy well, for Silas who who I thought got a raw deal when Harden was like, "Get me the hell out of here," and it was like, "All right, great, I have to go to a different team now." <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a brutal a brutal way to to uh, start a start a yeah, coaching. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's like it's like when you're, you know, you get a new job as like the GM of a franchise, and you have to trade some guy named Mookie Betts. Just, just not great. Just not a great way to start your job. Oh God! <laughs> uh, you know what was fun though? This show, and it's good to have a new <laughs> member of our rotation, Jackson Frank. Of course, uh, I said Dime Magazine. He mentioned SB Nation. <laughs> Excuse me. The uh, you know covering the Sixers for. Uh, their separate portion as well. Uh, what? Uh, where are all the places people can find you? Yeah, so I do some stuff with Espionation, the the site itself, and then I'm also at Liberty Baller, which is the Sixers site for Espionation, uh, Dime, Mag- Dime Up Rocks Magazine, uh, The Analyst, and then I'm always tweeting different thoughts and clips on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. All right, make sure you check it out. And uh, the show, again, powered uh, by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Uh, he is Evan. I am Adam. We're always here. Jackson, thank you so much for hopping on with us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, we'll do it again next week from the Celtics for partway through this, uh, this, this cakewalk of a homestand that's sitting in front of them right now. We'll see you later. Yeah.